I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F words. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I've got Zach Lyons here with me. And we're here to talk about doom and gloom. And the world is failing and falling apart because the Titans have lost two in a row. But believe it or not, for all the things we're going to talk about that aren't working, I've got to remind you from the open that the Titans are not out of this and not by a long shot. They just really need to get home and get some damn sleep. They're like parents with newborns who just got to get in the damn bed. Zach, how are you? Good, good. I've, I've, after watching the afternoon games, the Sunday night game, and last night's game, I feel a hundred times better about the Titan situation heading into a bye week and only getting healthier as the weeks yeah. go on. So I, I feel a little bit better than I did on on Sunday, and I really didn't feel that bad on Sunday just because a lot it's just luck, just dumb bad luck on a lot of the stuff that you know. Unfortunately, it happened. It just all happened at once, and maybe that means that all the bad luck is out of the way now. Think positive. I'm a positive guy. I'm positive Zach this week. I, I will say I did stop watching the game with probably, I think it was, <clears throat> excuse me, seven, eight minutes left in the fourth, just because at some point, the trajectory of the game, the Titans had multiple chances to turn it around. And honestly, without the turnovers, should have beaten the Patriots. I I would say would have easily beaten them doing the whole hindsight thing does kind of draw me nuts sometimes, but I really do feel confident in saying that. But once you could see what the trajectory was going to be in the fourth, I just got kind of gave up watching it, but that's not to say I gave up watching it out of like pure disgust. It was more just like, look, the bye weeks coming they need it as bad as any team in the league. It's a very fortunate bye week for them. Um, but I say all that to say this, the Titans offense, um, they have problems. And, and the problems we're going to start discussing today start with Ryan Tannehill. Um, now, John Glennon put out a piece on the SI. Hit piece. I mean, it, there's it was, no other way to call it. It is a scathing hit piece on Ryan Tannehill. Is he wrong, though? I, I think he is wrong on some of the aspects of, of the piece. But overall, I, as I said last week, the Houston Texans game, I think, does squarely fall on Ryan Tannehill's performance. I mean, that is a game that you can clearly point to and point out that, hey, that is Ryan Tannehill's fault. That Chester Rogers throw... I slowed it down. I've looked at it. I've shared it in our little group chat. Chester Rogers turned and jumped way too early. That is not on Ryan Tannehill, who was throwing it to the corner where only Chester could get it with a safety barreling down on Chester, so Chester could easily walk in on the touchdown. If Chester doesn't make a dumb, boneheaded move with turning his body, that's a touchdown. I... I Ryan Tannehill put the ball where he was supposed to do on that particular route in, in not just my opinion, and that's what it looked like to me, but I went to X's and O's guys, which are the guys over at Coach's Corner, and that's kind of what they think too. They think, sure, could it have been a little bit closer to Chester Rogers? Yeah. 
But as we have seen this whole NFL season across the league, quarterbacks aren't going to be 100% perfect with every throw. Sometimes wide receivers actually have to make plays. And that was a, that was a problem with Chester Rogers. And that's been a problem with this group is that sometimes they're, they just can't make plays. And granted it is Chester Rogers, who was a third or fourth wide receiver on this team who makes horrible decisions and pump returns to kick returns anyway. So expecting him to make that, but you got to play with what you got. And if that's what you got, he's got to step up and it's next man up. Right. I mean, I get it. When that play happened, everybody on Twitter blamed Ryan Tannehill, that particular Chester Rogers thing. My first thing was, and I blame Ch- blame Ryan on a bunch of the other interceptions. So I'm not ever, I'm not standing for Ryan Tannehill, you know, just because he's Ryan Tannehill. I, I thoroughly have blamed him on several interceptions. That misplay, I I just, it does not look like it's Ryan Tannehill's fault. It looks like he was doing what he was supposed to do. And you, if you slow it down and look at it, Chester just, he's the one who screwed that play up. Yeah. However, in saying all that, Ryan Tannehill deserves blame. And if you're going to be honest with yourself and you're one of those Marcus guys that, and I was one of them who was realistic about Marcus, you got to be realistic about Ryan Tannehill. Houston game, his fault. Patriots game, not his fault. He can't control that both of his running backs fumbled. He can't control that fat Randy has suddenly started missing kicks and getting the yips. He, he can't control what the play, the, the two, a large extent can't control what the offensive coordinator calls as shitty ass plays. I don't put this loss on Ryan Tannehill. Did Ryan Tannehill need to have a better game? He did. How many people across the league this weekend had their full complement of pass catching weapons and had a just as bad of a game or a worse game than Ryan Tannehill? I could tell you a couple of handful, but what are your thoughts on that Ryan Tannehill piece? It's rough, and and the as I get you know a day removed from reading it, I, I do think it was maybe a little harsher than it needed to be. But essentially, I I agree with you on the Chester Rogers play. I, I, I have not looked at it as deeply as you have, but the few times I did watch it back, it it really looks like he jumps to the wrong side. But and he jumps way early. I mean, he and just so totally mistimed that. I've got I. Again, I'm like like what you just said with the Mario to stand stuff, right? Is that I feel like all we heard for years was excuses for Marcus why he couldn't perform. But I'm about to make a lot of excuses for Ryan Tannehill. A, that box is not as stacked for the run, and that coverage is completely different. And and B, CBS, one of the few times that a CBS sideline reporter has said something that I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense, even though it was probably obvious is they basically did this about 90 second part of kind of talking piece during the game of the Titans all week for weeks have had new players coming in to where coaches on the bench and players on the bench would be like, Oh my God, who just made that play? Oh, that's so-and-so that we just brought in, you know, last week sitting on the couch or whatever it was. And that practice during the week has turned into Guys come in, they get introduced. They barely have enough time to get a walkthrough. They're not really practicing together a lot. There's no flow. 
and then they're hitting the road for the game. Now, that being said, the majority of this wide receiver crew has been together on the team for the majority of the year. We haven't had a lot of walk-ons, right? So, excuse me, at the same time, though, Tannehill has not had time to develop with any consistency game over game because that's when it matters is in the games practice is not it's practice for a reason but he hasn't had the time in the game to be able to develop a a flow structure with this core because you've got aj brown coming in and out of the lineup you had julio jones coming in and out of the lineup you've got wide receivers that are that are having to move around it's not a consistent core. And this also plays into the running game, which is working. And we're going to get into in just a moment, but the backfield's been different. I, I kind of, I have to give Tannehill a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here because I couldn't imagine having to show up game after game and figure out who I'm going to run to, or I'm sorry, excuse me, who I'm going to throw to because we haven't, we've barely been practicing together all week. And this week I'm throwing, you know, AJ Brown's going to be in my lineup, but he's not for the next few weeks. It, it's, I'm getting mealy mouth here, but that's one of the things that's frustrating to me for people that are so hard on Tannehill. And at the same time, there are decisions he makes. And I'm just like, come on, man. Like these are the, these are the mistakes you can't make when you're having all the troubles I just listed off. I think you just have to be realistic about Ryan Tannehill and a lot like the Marcus situation, a good majority of this fan base and these analysts, <coughs> excuse me, are not being realistic. They're, they're having to be extreme one way or the other. It's either it's never Tannehill's fault or it's always all Tannehill's fault. And I think, I think you laid it out pretty well is that look, Cody Hollister was the wide receiver two and Nick Westbrook Akine was the wide receiver one. Like there is no, let me say this about Marcus. The people around Marcus were healthy and consistently the same group of characters year in year out, the same kind of players. They, they, you know, they improved like normal roster churning moves. So you could definitely identify that Marcus was the problem because it was his health. It was his inconsistency. It was the same, you know, same stuff, right? You could definitely see it. But people gave Marcus five fucking years. They can't give Ryan Tannehill a few games throwing to the worst complement of wide receivers the, the Tennessee Titans have seen in a very, very long time, maybe ever. and. No tight ends. See, that was the thing always with some of these other Titans teams. They either had a really good run game and mediocre wide receivers, or they had a good run game, mediocre wide receivers, and a great tight end, right? I mean, that seems to be a pretty consistent theme throughout the Tennessee Titans era is that very rarely has there been a stacked team like this was supposed to be heading into 2021. And now you're looking at a team with Deontay Foreman, Ike Hilliard, which are, they're really looking really good, right? They're, they're fumbling at crucial, critical times and costing this team field position. But they still look good. But then you look at, you know, it's Nick Westbrook. They can't get set. It's like a bunch of Tajay Sharps out there. <laughs> like Cody Hollister, Nick Westbrook, Akine, 
they're basically a bunch of Tajay Sarps that can't get separation and they're just plotting on the field and it's it's hard for them. And when you're that when you're that kind of a team and the Patriots are taking away the pass, they're not afraid of the run game, right? They're lit, they get gashed them for over 200 yards on the ground. And they're playing the pass. Who is he supposed to throw to? Like there, people are expecting Ryan Tannehill to be Aaron Rodgers. Ryan Tannehill has never been Aaron Rodgers in his career. Nobody should be asking him to be Aaron Rodgers. And let me say this, is that I think Aaron Rodgers would be struggling. But you see quarterbacks all around the league. Lamar Jackson, full complement of pass-catching weapons. He's struggling. He's missing wide-open receivers. He's throwing four interceptions in a game. He's only throwing for 165 yards to go with those four interceptions. You're seeing Justin Herbert. Everybody's talking about, oh, I wish we had Justin Herbert. And I'm not saying Justin Herbert's not bad or he's bad or anything, but he hasn't been that great this year. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like reverted. And he has the full complement of pass catchers. He has Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jared Cook, uh, Austin Eckler. I mean, consistently every week he has those players. And right now he's ranked 18th in completion percentage. And, you know, some people may say, well, that's because he's not doing any more of those stupid short passes that uh, Anthony Lynn had him doing, like the easy passes. Well, unfortunately, that's not true. He's 29th in average depth of target right now. So, yes, he's still doing those stupid little short passes that everybody says that he's not stretching the field. He's not launching it constantly. And then we saw last night, I can't tell you how many tweets I saw about, oh, I can't wait till the Titans trade for Russell Wilson and all this stuff. And I know some of it's a little facetious because it's obviously not going to fucking happen. But did have you watched Russell Wilson this last year and a half? He said he's not been great. And yeah. I would take Ryan Tannehill over Russell Wilson currently in their current forms because let me say something. I don't think Russell Wilson's going to do anything better than what Ryan Tannehill is doing currently with this state of the roster. It's it's just it has not been a good situation for Tannehill. But that does not excuse him for a four those four interceptions. It does not excuse him for not audibling out of a certain plays. It's just at some point everybody has to be realistic of the expectations of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is not going to turn Nick Westbrook-Akine and Cody Hollister into Devontae Adams or into, let's just say, Devontae Adams and uh, Taylor Lock Tyler Lockett. They're not suddenly going to turn into those guys, and Ryan Tannehill is not going to make them. Nobody can make them those guys. I, I'm sorry, I don't think Tom Brady could. Aaron Rodgers may be able to get one game out of them, but let's be realistic here. You, with the way that this team has been set up, I don't blame everything on Ryan Tannehill, and that's what I think people want to do. He shares part of the blame, but he is not the blame. I mean, Tom Brady left the Patriots because Bill Belichick insisted on trying to turn a wide receiver group that reminds me very much of who we are fielding right now into Devontae Adams, just like you were saying. And Brady finally had enough of it because he wanted people to throw to. Now that's easy to say after you've had multiple Super Bowls, it's another road you can go down. But that that's the small example I'll use is that QBs have to have reliable people to throw to. And 
it, it doesn't matter. You're exactly right. It doesn't matter who you stick in the backfield. <coughs> that was nice. Um, it doesn't matter who you stick in the backfield. Your QB has got to be able to trust who he's thrown to, and they've got to be able to perform. And there's a reason why those characters are second and third on the depth chart. They're not there out of a mistake. They're there because you go to them. You absolutely have to have them, which is where the Titans are at right now. And and you're exactly right on Russell Wilson. I I know, like you said, a lot of that is probably tongue in cheek. There's probably a little bit of seriousness in it, but not only has he looked horrendous in the last three games, he's come back from that finger surgery, succession video, whatever, right? For the last year and a half, he has not looked right. I mean, he came back from the finger surgery and somehow arguably looked worse. I, I, he just, he's, that's not an option. So I don't want to, I don't want to end this segment necessarily on Tannehill is what you've got, but I want to end it on this positivity. Tannehill has shown you actually what he can do with a full lineup. And we saw it. 2019 is a good example of it. I mean, the man can ball out and put the air or put the ball in the air a lot when he's got a wide receiver core that he trusts. I want to pivot to this though, Zach, as if we didn't need any kind of more indication of just how important Derrick Henry is to this offense. I mean, how badly do we need that man back now? I don't think as badly as what you, what you think, because the rushing offense isn't the problem. Um, I think that teams are going to look at this Patriots tape and look at the previous uh, week's tape versus Texas say, okay, well they're running game. They're going to run it and it's working. So in my mind right now, it's more important for the Tennessee Titans to get Julio Jones and AJ Brown back than it is to get Derrick Henry back. Now, playoff time, Derrick Henry will be critical and crucial to the success of this team, but you're still going to need Julio and AJ Brown. If you don't have all three, it's going to be tough sledding no matter how you slice it, because if you don't have both AJ Brown and Julio and you just have Derrick Henry, then it's going to be tough for still for Ryan Tannehill to pass on these defensive teams in the playoffs. And, but in my mind for the regular season purposes to try to get that number one seed, it's so important. And the first person to come to be able to come off the IR list that can help is going to be Julio Jones. Now Julio Jones is going to be eligible to return from IR in week 14 against the Jaguars. You need him. And he's got to get back on the field and he's got to use this time between now and week 16 when AJ Brown can come back to build up some chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. You, you got to just play Julio Jones at this point. You, you can't put him on a snap count. You can't put him on a basis. He's going to have to play through whatever he's got because he's going to eventually have to build chemistry. You're talking about week 14. You got four games left for Julio Jones before the playoffs to build chemistry with Ryan Tannehill. And he hasn't been able to do that. So to me, it is super important to get Julio Jones back and AJ Brown back and get them a couple few game reps, especially AJ, but you got to get this offense in sync. And that's the only way you're going to do it. I don't think that Derrick Henry is pivotal to the regular season success of the Tennessee Titans right this year. He's pivotal to the playoff success of the Tennessee Titans. So I kind of hinted around and, and you just brought it up too that the offensive 
the, the, the offensive struggles don't necessarily translate to the running game with a huge caveat. The running game can't turn the ball over. And that is something that we got pretty used to with Derrick Henry is Henry seldomly putting the ball on the ground, if ever. Um, <clears throat> two turnovers in the running game against the Patriots. It just painful ones. I, which running back was it that was bouncing to the outside and basically got caught up with because he's not running away from the field like Henry does <clears throat> and gets the ball smacked out of his hands? I feel like that was both of them. Uh, yeah. I know that one was on the inside, I guess, and one's on the outside. Uh, but it feels like really it was, I mean, both of them just got caught from behind and just smacked. And and to be honest, those were good defensive plays, right? I mean, that's the it the way that those happened, and I believe Foreman is the one that you're referring to. Yeah, the Foreman turnover is the one I'm thinking of. The, those guys just the defensive players just came in and they just they just came in with a peanut. Charles Tillman kind of punch and knock that ball out. And, you know, I know that Derrick Henry probably would have been able to stiff arm the guy away or probably would have held on to it just because he's a tad bit stronger. But I think most running backs are going to fumble that ball because that was the perfect punch, you, you know, but it, it was still killer. And these, the two running backs, they, they, they take the blame or they take those fumbles pretty hard. And, I think that that will be a focus for probably both those players, you know, in the bye week and in the practices ahead to make sure that they don't ever put the ball on the ground again. And you you just have to like what you see out of those two guys. And I it's it's like this Jeremy McNichols, everybody's hoping McWeapon comes back. You know, really honestly, I, I don't think this offense is missing McNichols any. And now they could be missing it because maybe the the Titans play caller, Todd Downing, doesn't think that these guys can handle the screen game. And maybe that's why we saw only one screen uh, pass attempted by the Tennessee Titans because they didn't have Jeremy McNichols. But that's on the play caller for not having confidence in his players to execute when they have caught passes out of the backfield before. So I, I don't. I don't think that McNichols is a missing piece of this offense. And I, right now I would be definitely looking at the, the, these two guys being able to do what you need them to do. And I said that last week, these two guys have improved the rushing offense for the Tennessee Titans, along with the run blocking run blocking has been pretty, pretty good, but it's the passing offense that is that's that needs the help right now. And if you want and this Tennessee Titans team does not want to pass 50 times a game, but you need Julio out there to help you. Cause I keep saying Julio, you obviously need Julio and AJ Brown, but you need Julio because he's come back first. You need him desperately, desperately. Todd Downing and the play calling is something that we have discussed all year. There have been moments where it's been great. And there are moments where it's been questionable and, and, and we keep seesawing back and forth on that. Um, where does the Zach Lyons Todd Downing meter sit today? <laughs> well, you know, I've been a pretty good Todd Downing supporter. Uh, I, you know, a couple of the plays, you know, I'd always say set up other plays and stuff like this, but the last two weeks, I have a real hard time with his philosophies. 
you know, last week it was the lack of play action. And his, his thinking is, is that nobody's afraid of our run game and you can't, you can't do a play action uh, when nobody thinks you're going to run because you're in a deficit. Well, last week there was no fucking deficit to, you know, no massive deficit you could not overcome and play action. I will argue to I'm blue in the face always works. The extent to which it works varies in different game situations, but there are, plenty of teams that implement play action all throughout the game. And then you come into this week. So he says last week, when, when nobody's expecting you to run or nobody's afraid of your run game and the run game's not working and you have a deficit, can't do play action. Turn in a week later, run game is working. And it does not feel like that they ran 30.8% of play action passes this last week. It does not feel that way. And I think it's because I think if we probably looked at the all 22, which I think a couple of people are going to be doing, you're going to see that most of play action passes came in the first half. And as the game goes on, less and less play action. The run game was working all throughout the game, over 200 yards rushing, and you're not going to use more play action. Load it up with play action. I mean, that's what I saw the Washington football team do last night. And I've seen several teams, but it's the freshest one in my memory. They did it the whole game. I mean, it's almost like every drop back was a play action pass of some sort, whether it's using a jet sweep, fake jet sweep, or a fake handoff, or having both running backs on the field. They got creative with their play action, and they did a lot of play action, I feel like, last night. And I think that Todd Downing has to get out of his own way. And that's this is why I said on 440 Sports, I was on Braden, I think it will be on today, um, on Tuesday, that – it seems like this team, when something is working, they move away from it. And when something's not working, they lean into it. And that's what I don't get about Todd Down. You run all the way down the field, you lean on your running backs, and then you get into the red zone and the goal, the goal line. And you're about three or four yards out, second play, let's do a pass play. Oh, that was an atrocious looking pass play. And then they turn around on a critical fourth down and do another pass play that looks similar. And of course, it's an interception. At some point, you have to question this this guy and what he's thinking in these critical situations that he's not running it. And for a team that has came out and said constantly, they want to be a run first team. They don't want to pass a lot. They pass in the most critical two situations where you could just rein it in and the run game was working. I, I just don't get Todd Downing. I, I can't excuse I, – I can't put faith in Todd Downing week in and week out. He's inconsistent. He's nowhere near – I was hoping to give him time, right? You know, I was hoping to see, you know, a little bit of Art Smith start creeping in. You know, Art Smith had a rough go before he sw- made the switch to Ryan Tannehill. So I was hoping, you know, we were going to see a better Todd Downing as the year the season goes on, and I think he's getting worse as the season goes on. Now, does that tie to injuries? Possibly. But if that's the case, then you need to come up with better plays and better schemes to implement to get these wide receivers open because I think he's still calling the same plays and the same scheme as if he has A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Cody Hollister and Nick Westbrook-Akine are not those two guys. So you got to call different plays to scheme them open. This idea that Ferkser is anything, and let me tell you about Charles Davis, 
I don't know how much money Anthony Ferkser's agent or family paid him to talk about Anthony Ferkser throughout that whole fucking broadcast, but that was a gross misjustice of using your announcing airtime to spend time talking about a guy who has not been an impact for this team and who is not really the impact player for the offense that the Titans need to step up versus the uh, New England Patriots. Like, give me a break. At some point, Todd Downing has to look what he has and devise and create plays that suits the players that he has, not the players he used to have. Anthony Ferkser has not been good. We were such a pro Anthony Ferkser, Anthony, Anthony Ferkser for Pro Bowl, you name it. And boy, we, he has just not been good. We all knew that he w- wouldn't be able to block. But right. now all of a sudden he can't even do what he was good at the last two years, which was be a pass catching uh, and move the chains and get open and sit in zones. He can't do any of that. And for Charles Davis to sit there, who I thought Charles Davis has watched a lot of Tennessee Titans, and I feel like he has. He's on the radio here all the time, and he's a Tennessee a UT grad, and he does our preseason games. For a guy to sit there and, and just, you know, bloviate and promote Anthony Ferkser as some kind of hidden weapon that needs to be unlocked or needs to be used. (laughs) I I don't get it. Like it's just, it was, that was my big takeaway from the game was that Charles Davis obviously just really half-assed it this week in preparation. Charles Davis went down the list of names he recognized and he goes, Anthony Ferkser. There's one. Cue that up. I'm going to talk about that. You know what? You may be right. Maybe he's like, I know Anthony Ferkser. Um, looking at this list of scrubs that they're putting out there i guess i'm gonna have to focus on him yeah no you you may be 100 right i didn't think about that yeah that's what i'm going with i I swear that's what it is it's it reminds me a little bit of the sunday night football game you sometimes see exact opposite effect the titans start playing well against the rams and they're like son of a bitch (laughs) we did surface level level analysis now we just need to make crap up um, I'm going to read this quote. This is as Emily Proud had typed it. Um, Mike Vrabel says that the he has the utmost confidence in his strength and conditioning staff. Quote, I never suffered an injury and said that damn strength coach. I never said that trainer sucks. End quote. Um, on, on, again, on the service level, <clears throat> of course, as soon as I start a statement, this is happening all morning. Uh, I have to clear my throat. Um, on the surface level, I laugh about what he says because he's right. But a few weeks ago, you pointed out something, I believe on the podcast, but I know we talked about it in our group chat as well, that there's a few players, and I think Saffold is one of them, that have been going to rehab. It's at a place in Green Hills, I believe, and I, the name is blanking on me. Starts with but, an A. I'm, yeah, it starts with an A. It's like a Tehran put it out there. Yeah, it's like Athena. It's not Athena, but it's something along those lines, and I'm butchering it. But that group of players that has been using this this post-therapy seems to be staying on the field longer. Not seems to be. They are be. And so I laugh at what Mike says because he's not wrong, but you can't help but think about some sort of rehab or conditioning or something. Yes, there are ankle injuries and stuff like that you can't do anything with, but the team has also had a rash of hamstrings and, and things like that, that you gotta, you gotta think that I would hope the Titans organization is saying, okay, 
what's that what's that rehab group they're using what is it they're doing differently and mike even said a few weeks ago if guys are using outside sources that are working we'd like to bring them in we'd like to hire them okay so it was tron davenport and it was six days ago jeffrey simmons on how he and other types players work on recovery with adam bobo of arete wellness or arete wellness a-r-e-t-e so yeah. simmons on his recovery you know Simmons will you know pop up on the injury report but he he never stays on the injury report for long right and a couple of the players the ones that have done this uh according to Tehran and I'll try to find that uh you can try to find that uh tweet as well uh, I'm not uh, Nick Lombardi had posted. I'm not sure the recovery of Titans players this season should be a selling point for a REIT brand. And Tehran says the guys that are work that they are working with have been pretty good with not missing games. So a REIT is a third party recovery rehab facility, whatever. Here, here's where it lies. Strength and conditioning cannot prevent fluke injuries, right? I yeah. mean, you can't control it. You can you could try and build strength and you could try and make sure that everything, you know, is okay. But most of these guys go away from the facility <laughs> during the off season and, you know, train and do all that stuff with their own guys. And, you know, they, they get their time weekly with the strength and conditioning staff here, but they, you can't really prevent, you know, I don't know, a concussion. You can't prevent someone just knocking AJ Brown in the chest and taking him out. You, you can't control that kind of stuff. However, the recovery rehab process that the team doctors and team medical staff are putting in, that's where I have the issue. So that's where you see players going away from them and they're the ones that are getting healthy, staying healthy and getting back on the field quicker than their counterparts who are sticking with the, the team strength and conditioning staff. There's obviously an issue there. And in the recovery and the recovery and rehab process within the Titans facility, there is an issue. And at some point that needs to be addressed because you got to remember Dory Jackson last year was lingering with this with this issue all season long. And you think he was going to come back and he wasn't, he wasn't ready, or he was a scratch. You know, at some point. You have to take a good, hard look at your, your staff in-house in that particular area. Like I said, I don't think there's an issue with the strength and conditioning coach having these guys ready to play. I think there's an issue with getting them back on the field to play after an injury. I feel like we've gone through the whole team. The only well, team, everything the only thing, defense. The only thing we haven't, let, we haven't touched on is the defense. Very much along the lines of, you know, how we've gone with, with some of the pieces of this offense and some things are working, some things aren't. The defense is still doing well in aspects, but then this front four has disappeared. And, and, and the pressure, well, I shouldn't say disappeared. They disappeared against, against Houston, for sure. Um, the Patriots, there was more pressure, but I... I, I I don't know. I just I'm I'm frustrated as we go into the bye week with the with the things that I feel like are just right there and don't need as drastic tuning. Like last year, we just knew, even though we went on the podcast every week, talked about that the defense has got to do X, Y, and Z. They've got to be something other than terrible to get it done. That's not the case this year, but 
we can't have this front four disappear. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's it's been concerning. Uh, a lot of people are pointing to Bud Dupree being out, and I'm sure that has something to do with it. However, they had games where they put pressure on the quarterback and they didn't miss a beat without Bud Dupree already. So that can't be the only issue, the main issue. There is something bigger brewing in that defense that nobody really can tell us what is the problem. But I can tell you. And I will say it again. You guys spurned the Tennessee Tickle Monster nickname, and look what happened. <laughs> Just, it's, it's plain as day. It's science. It's right there in your faces. We need to all embrace Tennessee Tickle Monsters again, put out the good vibes, and get this team back in there. We got a whole bye week for everybody to come together on this and make a Super Bowl push based on this defense with the, with the Tennessee Tickle Monster. In saying that, this pressure in this front four, or uh, yeah, front four. I mean, I'm not going to include the inside linebackers in the pressure. You want you want Danico Antry, Harold Landry, and Jeffrey Simmons, and lesser extent the fourth guy in the rotation to start putting pressure on the quarterback. You have to do it, and if they're struggling to do that because they're gassed or because they're tired, which I kind of lean, I think that may be where it's at then you need to get some creative blitzes because when you blitzed Elijah Molden or you blitzed Kevin Byard, it worked. It, it, it made Mac Jones uncomfortable. Mac Jones was way too comfortable back there in that pocket. But not only that, he had open receivers down the field. You're talking about a guy, and I haven't looked at it since the afternoon games and primetime games, but as of the early morning Thanksgiving games, Mac Jones was the fourth fastest quarterback throwing the ball. That means he got the reads he wanted and quickly threw it to those guys that were wide open. The worst coverage performance probably since the Arizona Cardinals game that I've seen, and I think it may be worse than the Cardinals game just because of how wide open these losers were. You're talking about a team that is, that is fielding Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers out there as their wide receivers, and that's only two rings up from what the Titans have. And the Titans let them moved down the field all they wanted. Now, listen, they had great starting field position, which is a huge issue for this Tennessee Titans team, and that that falls onto special teams in the offense. But they were letting them go down regardless. And at some, and then on the plays where, um, I think it was Brandon Bolden, maybe Damian Harris, I don't know, but there were a few plays where it looked like the team just kind of gave up. The players on the field just kind of gave up. And, you, you know, I, I'm not questioning that they did. I think they're maybe they were just tired or they thought that someone else had already pushed him back. But that's why you always play through the whistle and you play until the and all that. And that's what this team has always coached. And this team just did not do that on Saturday. They did not play with enough aggression. They did not play with enough chip on their shoulder. It looked like a tired team who knew the outcome of this game way before the outcome was actually fully decided. That's such a, that's such a good point and thoughts that I had during the game were it, it felt like it felt like the team was tired. And and just like you said, it, it really felt like, especially towards the end of the game that it was, let's get out of this without additional injuries. I'm not saying that was a unit choice. I'm saying that, felt like an individual player choice of 
let's get out of this without an extra injury and move on. Um, but you brought up something that I completely forgot about meant to put in my notes this morning. The lack of return game, even though it's it's probably far down the list of complaints, the lack of return game with the Titans has bugged the shit out of me. This year specifically, I'm just so attuned to this team catching a punt and running it five, six yards and then getting tackled or catching a kickoff return, running it to the 20 and getting tackled and watch the gunners celebrate because they stopped them five yards short of the 25. I just, what in the fuck? Just please learn how to return the ball. Like give us something, give us some sort of field position. I've not looked it up, but I swear the Titans have got to be one of the worst in the league for starting field position. I'll, I'll say this. Chester Rogers, who looked great in the preseason at, at returning punts and yeah. returning some kickoffs. This this team in the regular season with their choices to having they they feel like they have to bring out every kick and every punt. Why? You're getting less on average than the 25-yard line, and you're putting your body on the line in a fluky year where injuries seem to happen all the time. Just take just take the free 25 yards at this point. I, I don't understand it. The, I know players want to be on the highlight reel to try to score a touchdown. This team's probably not going to score a special teams touchdown, and, and I'm okay with that. I just want right now good field position, and this special teams is hurting us doing that. And while the Tennessee, while they're given really good field position to the opposing offense. Yeah, seriously, give us like let's. Give us the 30. Like, that. that's all I'm asking for. That's all I'm asking for. Like, it's that fucking easy in the NFL. But that's all I'm asking for. It's like, I'm so tired of watching this Titans team. Oh, they're starting on the 22. Oh, they're starting on the 19. Oh, they caught a punt, and the punter was immediately surrounded. It just, oh, God. Uh, okay. It's, it's a little more positivity time. Let's get into more of a positive mood. Because for all the doom and gloom, you know, actually, I say doom and gloom. Titans Twitter wasn't terribly doom and gloom. It would, there was a lot of Tannehill blame. There was a lot of, like you said, it may have, maybe it was facetious, but a lot of, you know, bring in Russell Wilson talk. But I didn't see a lot of Titans fan base giving up. But if you are feeling lost going into this bye week, I want to at least throw this out there. And I'm going to use the New York Times playoff um, simulator as my backup for this. The Titans are still far and away going to win the division unless it just completely comes apart in in the last five games. So let's just put that out there, but I want to throw a few pieces out there. I've got the Titans. If the Titans win that just two of their next five games, they still have an 85% chance of hosting a wild card game. So the Titans could just essentially beat the Texans and the Jaguars and still host a wild card game. Now, that's not exactly what you want. Realistically, what you would like to see is for the Titans to still grab the first seed, which, believe it or not, is still possible, but the Titans have to win out. I mean, the Titans have to beat Jags, Steelers, 49ers, Dolphins, Texans, all back-to-back. Well, the Patriots which, are probably not going to win out. They still have to play Buffalo twice, and they play right. and they play probably a Miami team still fighting for that wild card spot, and they have Indianapolis. So. I don't know. I think that you probably have to go four and one down the stretch to probably get the, which is very possible to get the uh, number one seed. Yeah. And, and unfortunately the Titans dropping 
almost any game on the schedule drops their percentage chance of hosting the number one seed from 98% down to about 46%, which starts to get into who lost where and what. But the Titans still control their own destiny for the first round seed, even though that destiny means they would have to win out. But for them to host a wild card game, they don't have to do a lot. So the Titans have a bye week at exactly the right time. Now, I wish they weren't going, we all wish they weren't going into the bye week as injured as they are because it's a lot to overcome. However, if you're going to have the type of injury problems that the Titans have had, that a team, you know, a team badly needs rest, this is the perfect time for that. So, much like the team, get some rest over the next week, rest your mentals <laughs> because it's going to be a five week sprint to the playoffs. And this team, they need to win at least two. But and, and and that's not asking a lot, but at the same time, you want to see them win as many as possible because it just gives them a better chance of having the first round by would be stellar, but maybe you can't count on that. But to host a playoff game is the big thing. You want your players to be able to play at home. The fans obviously want to be able to celebrate at home, but it helps the team morale a lot to be able to start a playoff run at home or know that they have the chance to play at home in the playoffs because of the work they put in. Well, and the AFC is just so bad that even though you may be hosting the wild card game that weekend, there's a good chance you could host another playoff game that weekend because right. the AFC, the number one seed or the number two seed could lose to anybody, right? The, the AFC is just not, I still think Tennessee Titans on paper with Julio Jones, AJ Brown, and Derrick Henry come playoff time are still the team to beat in the AFC. I think that what you saw on Sunday was what I've been saying for the last two weeks was that the New England Patriots are a paper tiger. I don't think they're that good. I think they're very beatable. And I think that if you at least would have had even just Marcus Johnson or A.J. Brown, one of those two out there, the Titans could have won that game. If you Listen, they could have won the game if, if those, those two running backs didn't fumble. I still think Tennessee Titans are the best team in the AFC when, when healthy, and I think they're going to get healthy. I'm not, I'm not buying into this. This injury train is off the rails, and it's never getting back on, and this team is just never going to get healthy. I'm not, I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in jinx. This is a Tennessee Titans team that is going to get healthy. And I think Buffalo, I think Josh Allen has regressed. I think in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson is just too limited uh, as a quarterback and a passer to do a lot of damage. I don't think their defense is as good as it has looked. You look at a team like the Colts, Carson Wentz is still Carson Wentz. I think that this team has their number as well. You look at the Steelers, they're awful. The Browns, they're not consistent. Kansas City is probably your biggest threat right now, but you were able to beat Kansas City at their at their healthiest with Greg Maben as your number one cornerback. Like, give me a – I'm just not scared of this Kansas City team currently because, first off, they're not consistent. I'm not going to give them an attaboy and a pat on the back for games against the Raiders, looking good against the Raiders and the Giants. Like, give me a break. Let's see their defense be consistent. If their defense is back like everybody wants to go ahead and proclaim, then sure, maybe this team is going to make some noise and be the team to beat in the AFC. But they got flaws, obviously. I just, I don't see a clear-cut way right now that you can just go ahead and crown someone AFC champion 
and the team to beat. I think right now every team is beatable. Every team has their flaws, and that's good for the Tennessee Titans, who are typically really good at at being able to play against teams and 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 impose their will. And I think that will be able to happen once everybody's a full complement of weapons is back, and it will be back. And I, I want to say this: I would like to see during this bye week or hear a story whatever it is, a comment maybe, of Ryan Tannehill going out to some football field during the bye week, maybe two or three times. Because, I mean, listen, it's just you're playing pitch and catch at this point. And all these lesser-known receivers getting on the same page. I think that would be huge for this team. I think that would be a really great sign that, you know, Ryan Tannehill knows that, hey, this could be our weapons who knows how long. I need to get on the same page. And as a leader, I think that would be a great, great way to do it. I think it'd be good to get everybody out of Montgomery Bell Academy or wherever they go and and just throw the ball around, just to run a few plays, get Des Fitzpatrick comfortable, get, you know, Golden Tate up to speed. You know, we haven't even talked about Golden Tate. I, I mean, probably a good thing, I guess, because, I mean, no, neither of us have these high expectations for Golden Tate like everybody else does, but... You gotta you gotta use what you got. And as Ryan Tannehill needs to do during this this bye week, I think there needs to be, and I don't know if there's CBA rules that prevent this or something, but they need to go out and and get on the same page, build that chemistry, go through some plays on the playbook and build that chemistry. It'd be nice going into a bye week with a playoff run with not having a quarterback that feels like he's got to run back to Hawaii, right? Right, right. <laughs> But no, in, in, in all seriousness, I, I think so. You know, obviously the players deserve a break, but you're exactly right. And, and Tannehill's the kind of quarterback that you can expect thinks that way and wants to do that. I mean, keep in mind, this is a team that last year during COVID went and tried to find a way to practice at NBA. And then Mike Florio found out and they should have been fined like $10 million and lost six draft picks. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, this is a team that, during that situation, they were trying to find a way to practice this. I got to think that you're, you're exactly right. That Tannehill would get this group together and say, let's just do, let's do a little pitch and catch. Let's just try to try to make this chemistry work. And I agree with you, you know, as we start to kind of wrap this up, I, I agree with you that I don't have that feeling that gut instinct that this team is broken or too injured to go forward to do stuff. This team realistically should have beat the Patriots. Even with that lineup, even with all the injuries they've got, even with what we talked about of players coming in midweek and having to be introduced in practice and they don't even really get to practice together, that unit should have beat the Patriots with the exception of a couple of just disastrous turnovers. So the AFC is not stacked. It's set up for the Titans to come out of the bye week and continue to march forward. So <laughs> I've got a damn cold or something. It's driving me up the wall. It's like every time I get into a rhythm, I got this stupid cough. Anyways, whatever. The Titans have a bye week at the right time, and I believe they can come out of it and continue down this path of hosting a playoff game and marching right into it. So they get Henry back for the playoffs. I, I think bets are off, and I think this team is marching forward to full, the full of steam. It's all about limiting mistakes and not beating themselves. And that's been what Vrabel has preached all year. And it just, every, with the way that this current 
roster is made up of on game day, every mistake feels like it's a backbreaker. Even the even a holding call feels like it's going to be an insurmountable penalty for this offense to overcome or this defense to overcome. And it's it's just that way right now, just because of how the team is made up. You know, when you have AJ Brown back and you have Julio Jones back, that is that is going to help. I'll say this. Let me let me say two things where I feel like I was a little bit I downplayed two topics. And I wish I I wish not not that me upplaying them would have changed anything because I have no control. But I think the chemistry in the offseason topic, you know, Chad Withrow really banged the table on that over at Outkick 360. And a few other people have too, but I remember him being the most vocal. I downplayed it, said it shouldn't matter, and most of the starters are back, and blah, blah, blah. It totally matters. Off-season chemistry totally matters. All those players, including Nate Davis, including Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, all those players missing time and extensive time has really affected the growth of this team and the progress of this team. The other one is I downplayed the tight ends. Now, this team isn't like the other teams where it's like tight end dependent, but it needs a competent tight end and it does not have one. I'm sorry for those that are Michael Pruitt fans. I like Michael. I think he's the best tight end on the roster, but that's not good enough. And that's not saying much. And I think, you know, having to go make a play for Gerald Everett and free agency would have been the better use of your money than going to make a play for Josh Reynolds at this point. It's hindsight, obviously. So, I think tight end is a major issue that's got to be fixed in 2022 because there's no way to fix it right now. There's no one on the street you could bring in. There was no one viable you could really trade for it. Njoku and had really cemented what he wanted to get done. The only person you could trade for was Ertz. And I think Ertz would have helped, obviously, now. But I don't think trading what you could... And trading for and paying for Ertz was the right move, regardless of the situation the Titans are in now. But tight end is an issue with this team. I'll end on this. I've been wanting to ask this question. Maybe this is the wrong time to ask it, but I don't want to call the Julio Jones thing a failure because you can't do that without the season being over. But has the Julio Jones experience lived up to the experience that we felt like it should have, like, I guess, let me ask you a different way. There was a lot of talk. Atlanta fans were like, Hey, look forward to him only playing a handful of games a year. Look forward to him having, you know, strange little injuries that he disappears for multiple games or whatever it is. Right. And a lot of Titans fans played it off of like, I know he's in a better situation. He'll get to play more this and that. And lo and behold, he's only played a few games. Should, should we have known better? I mean, should, is that the expectation we should have had? Yeah, I guess I guess that the expectations have not been met, and maybe they weren't properly set. But still, it's Julio Jones, an All Pro, and this team had that expectation. So, should the team had different expectations, probably. But you, you can't foresee that this was actually going to happen. And and to be honest, John Robinson did not expect this to happen. Mike Vrabel did not expect this to happen. That's why they traded for Julio Jones. And why they spent the money that they did trying to get him on this team and spent the draft capital. So they have to 
have those expectations because if you don't have those expectations that he's going to be an asset to this team, play all 16 games, and you spend that kind of assets to try and get him, then for a guy that you expect to only play like five games, then that that's just an overpay. And and in hindsight, it is an overpay, right? He we're not getting we're not getting a lot of Julio Jones on the field every week. It's just not happening. Um, so you have to just do you reset expectations? No. Are you do I regret having those expectations? No. I, I think right. maybe that's I think that's your question, right? Is that should we have set our expectations differently? No, because you have to hold some of these moves to high the high expectations and the same expectations as a general manager does. The general manager made that move with the expectation that Julio Jones was going to be something different than what he has been. The general manager has expectations for a Super Bowl. I have not adjusted my expectations that I expect this team to be competing for a Super Bowl in late January and February. So if you're wanting to go ahead and adjust your expectations, that's fine. But let me say this, they're not doing that in-house. They're expecting Julio Jones to come back at some point. They're expecting him to be who he was. I think that's why they gave him a lot of leeway and a lot of time to try to get through this injury by putting him on IR. They're, they're playing the IR game with the expectations that most of these players, if not all that are on sh this short-term IR are going to be back and healthy for the playoffs. They're playing for the playoffs. They're not really playing for the regular season as much as they are playing to be healthy in the playoffs. I, I just want to remind everybody real quick that 440, we've, we've got several other podcasts that you can tune into. We would love for you to check those out. Um, obviously you've got club and country. They're certainly going to be talking about, Nashville SC and their not so glorious exit to the playoffs came off a pretty terrible PK um, run. You just can't miss four PKs in a row. They'll get into all that. You got the gold standard fringe element, lamestream. Um, check all those outs over on 440. Um, Zach, I, I got to throw this out before we wrap it up because we've spent way too much time over the last 24, 48 hours laughing about Oklahoma fans coming just all apart. <laughs> Lincoln Riley left in the middle of the night for USC. Now, apparently before I went to bed last night, Brian Kelly is going yeah. to LSU. I mean, that just doesn't seem like a fit at all. But I, I guess this is what I'm going with this before you get into individual reactions. Why do college football fans and why do media act like it's such a huge fucking surprise when a college coach leaves in the middle of the night, this has been going on since the dark ages. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh, and I don't get why, I guess I do get why coaches say, well, I'm never leaving or I'm sure, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I get it because you don't want to be that guy. But why do people believe them? Right. That, that's where I, I that's where I have a hard time reconciling this whole thing is that why are you believing <clears throat> coaches? Coaches are known liars. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're just so full of shit that I, I can't believe that people fall for it every week. Oh, well, Lincoln Riley said a couple of days ago, he's not leaving. Or Brian Kelly said that unless they fire me or I'm retiring a Notre Dame Irish and then use some Mike Tomlin quote, they butchers like all, money talks people. It's all about money. And 
are you trying to tell me that you think that your coach should stay in Oklahoma sooner when he's got someone that's willing to buy him a house and pay off his other two houses for 500,000 more than what it, they're currently worth? Like, no, he's going to California. He's leaving your podunk state. And he should because he's getting a boon from this USC team. And I, I don't get why people are like, oh, I just can't believe it. I, some people are saying it's illegal. Then some people are calculating taxes that he's going to have to pay extra and all this stuff. Like, give me a break. Guys, you're, you are Oklahoma. It is, I've never had the desire to want to go to Oklahoma for anything. I don't even know if I've stopped in there for during a flight anywhere like give me a break why would someone choose to stay with you guys in oklahoma for lesser money than going to california for more money like it's a no-brainer that's like telling a mcdonald's employee the manager there hey you know i work at burger king we want to raise you for ten ten thousand dollars a year uh, and we're going to give you some extra health benefits and more pay time off. And then that guy leaving his, you know, throwing his headset down at McDonald's and, you know, leaving, walking right out the door, right? Same thing. Would you blame that guy for doing that? Like, to me, I, it's a no-brainer. I would take whatever. I'm, I am a whore for money. Money buys happiness. I do not believe this bullshit that money doesn't buy happiness. Money. Nobody ever frowns on a jet ski. Yeah. Money completely buys happiness. Pay me money. I'll do almost anything. Like you, you tell me that, Hey, you, you, uh, see my dad sells Fords. Hey, uh, if you'll come and help us do a podcast only about Chevrolet trucks, and we're going to pay you $300,000 a year, I'm going to go do it. Hell, I'll probably go do it for 60 K a year. Like, give me a break. I mean, <laughs> It's it's ridiculous that people think that money loyalty should outweigh money. Hell no. You paying the paycheck? That's that's what you like. Give me come pay for my houses. Like, give me a break with people with this holier than that thou art shit that does not matter. Money buys happiness. If you don't think so, then you probably don't have the money because I am much happier when I can pay all my bills and have money left over to go do whatever the fuck I want. I, okay. First off, Lincoln Riley owned two homes in Norma, Norman, Oklahoma. Okay. Well, what, what he just bought one and he was in the process of selling. Oh, them. okay. They just all built right. a home or something. So that that's makes why sense. there's two. That makes more sense. Cause one of them sounded like a side piece joint. Um, but let me just put this out there. Every single coach, not named Nick Saban is not going to stay in that job for anything. Alabama, Nick Saban, that, that's never going anywhere at this point. Well, I, I feel also like I'm paying them say that. tons of money, right? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me say this. If someone, if someone came calling and paid him more money, he's leaving Alabama. You think he would? I feel if like he's it, got that. I feel like he has a fiefdom, a fiefdom in Tuscaloosa. I think it would have to be a lot of money, but sure. I think, I think, he there is a price tag that sees him leave in Tuscaloosa, but I think that Tuscaloosa is always going to say, "Hey, bring us that offer, and we'll we'll either match it or beat him." Well, if he's alive long enough for the United Arab Emirates to like buy Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, um, then yeah, that might happen. So I, I want to read this, and then we're going to get out. Jessica Smetana, I think I'm saying that right. She's on the Dan Lebatard show. 
a huge Notre Dame fan. If you don't follow her on Twitter, she's pretty hysterical. She tweeted out early yesterday, in fairness to Oklahoma, if the head coach of Notre Dame ever got poached by another Power 5 school, I would probably lose my mind too. However, in my entire lifetime of all of Notre Dame's head coaches, um, they have only been one fired or two Brian Kelly. And then she tweeted right after that, I'm worried this won't age well. I mean, it li- literally within hours, people were just like, are you kidding me? Like, how unlucky is that tweet? But Brian Kelly going to LSU is just, I'm sorry, I think it's a massive mismatch. Someone put someone put a tweet out yesterday that said, Brian Kelly looks like the type of guy that thinks Sprite is too spicy. Why in the world would they think he would fit at LSU? And I completely agree. I, he, to me, was synonymous with Notre Dame because I think he got away with his baby ass antics there. I just don't think it's going to go over well, both in the sec and at LSU and he could be out quick. I'll say this. I think that Brian Kelly is a better coach than Ed Orgeron. Yeah. I don't think there's any debating that the, what I do have a problem with is that they're hiring a coach with probably the least possible cultural, emotional overlap with the fan base you're trying to please. And I think that it's a horrible cultural fit. I don't know if here's the thing about going to LSU, his expectation for Brian Kelly specifically, his expectations are going to be so high because of his pedigree, his coaching pedigree, because everybody, I, I saw Booger McFarlane call him a hall of fame college coach. I, I don't know about that, but yeah, he's going to have high expectations. This team is just a season or two removed from the national championship with Joe Burrow. You know, mm. they have high expectations and lesser coaches have won championships with LSU. However, I think with the current state of the SEC, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be outclassed by a lot of his peers, his contemporaries in the SEC by coaching. And I don't think that this the roster in LSU is going to be a quick turnaround like everybody's expecting. And Alabama has a, a pretty good roster that they're going to, it's not great this year, but it gets better because with more experience for some of these players, the better, you know, another year under their belt. Georgia is looking like a force. They were really good last year. They're going to be, they're probably winning it all this year and they're probably going to be good next year. I think that with the addition of whoever takes over Oklahoma, then you have Texas and then you have, you know, Mississippi State looking better. Whoever the new, uh, I forgot who. Florida already hired their coach. I'm not 100% sure on that. UT is obviously looking way better. I I think the SEC is just too loaded for him to make up ground. A lot of people think that he's going to win a championship or even be in the playoffs by year two, and I just don't see that happening. I don't think that he's going to meet the expectations as quickly as everybody thinks he is, and I think that's going to – I set the over-under of seasons at 4.5. I almost said 3.5 in the chat, but I think I'm going to give him an extra year. I'm still going under on 4.5, but that's kind of where I feel like I just don't think they're the high expectations that he's going to carry in for a guy who has been embarrassed in every college football playoff he's been in, who got embarrassed in the championship game versus Alabama. He's just thoroughly romped by Alabama and Nick Saban. He got out coached and his team got outplayed that. I just don't think that with looser recruiting restrictions that he's somehow it's not that difficult to 
to really recruit for Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame. It's still one of the premier college football programs out there with the name. The problem has been that Brian Kelly doesn't put a product on the field that ever appeals to people that want to come because they never hardly win anything. Like they're six and five in bowl games. They're just a very average to slightly above average program. And I get it that the record looks, you know, really nice and everything is like he's got like so many wins over so many losses, right? I mean, that's fine. When you play a relatively easy schedule like he does, and you lose to all the good teams like he does, then sure, that's going to look a little inflated. To me, I just don't see this being a fit like you said. Did we turn into a college football podcast? We did. 10-year, 95 million for Brian Kelly. 10-year contracts. That uh, always nine year, me nine year, 95 million is what oh, I Oh, excuse I me. Um, I'll leave it on this. College coaches are fucking liars. They all lie. They lie through their teeth. My favorite story is Tommy Tuberville was at dinner with some recruits, got offered another job, confirmed it as appetizers are being delivered, told the kids at the table he was going to the bathroom, got up and left the restaurant, got on a plane and left. The kids at the table had no idea what just happened. Left them in a bunch, left them in a steakhouse to take another job. I love it. College coaches are shysters and the genie's out of the bottle now. You're not gonna be able to put it back. I mean, this this kind of coaching carousel is gonna continue. Um, so that's college football and other F words. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> listening to that this afternoon. Titans fans, enjoy your bye week. Okay, it's well deserved for everyone. Um, again, brought to you by Broadway Media. Uh, we are football and other F words. Come check us out, rate, review, and subscribe. And um, for the bye week, you've just been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.